Uh, I was in Chicago, very jet-lagged. It's a long, terrible flight across the, uh, the Pacific and over to America and then on into, uh, then on into Chicago. I was really terribly jet-lagged and out of it and wandering around aimlessly in the streets there trying to recover from the flight because I had a day before I had to do anything and this was the recovery day. I felt really thirsty and so I went into a little supermarket that I saw there. I just thought I'd buy a little bit of orange juice and have an orange juice as I walked around. I mean that's all I wanted, just some orange juice, but when I got inside I was confronted with a whole wall of different kinds of orange juices. It was, it was full of different orange kinds, different prices. Some were mixed with with fruit, you know, orange and apple, orange and and and, uh, and pineapple, and uh, some were different kinds of oranges. I didn't know there were so many different kinds of oranges, but they were all laid out as you could have this kind or that kind. I I didn't see Seville oranges. That would be an interesting juice, and there were some were fresh and organic. I couldn't find any of the inorganic orange juices, but anyway, I just kept looking and there, there were reconstituted orange uh, concentrate and there were some in the shelf, some in a refrigerator and some that when you opened you had to put into a refrigerator and there I wandered up and down the aisle in this jet-lagged fog that I was in, my brain transfixed by it was just overwhelmed by American affluence, really. I was confused by the enormity of my decision. I was reading every label, trying to work out what was inside the thing that I was desperately thirsty. And after about 15 minutes in this shop, I finally emerged back out onto the street with nothing other than a headache. I just couldn't make up my mind. It was just too much for me. I was spoilt by choice. So spoilt that I made no decision at all. I just left empty handed. But of course, I had made a decision because no decision is a decision. You see, it, it, it was a choice. Not to buy orange juice from that shop was my choice. In fact, I went on to make that choice not to go into any other supermarket that I could possibly avoid in America. I couldn't have suffered another one. It was a choice to live with my thirst rather than to make a mistake and buy the wrong kind of orange juice. Now that's an irrational choice. Irrational is a very nice big word which means stupid. Uh, it was a stupid choice, though it was well, I was conscious that I was making a choice because I was conscious that choices have consequences and I didn't want the wrong kind. I didn't want to go out and drink something I didn't like. And so, strangely and stupidly, I was more worried about the consequence of this choice than making a simple choice. But some choices are simple. They're simple because their consequences are so unimportant. So really don't matter. Uh, Australian teenagers developed in uh, 30 or 40 years ago a lovely way of being able to express this with a single word. It was a marvellous word that they came up with. It, it, it had to be delivered the right way with the right shrug of the shoulders, which of course not being a teenager I can't do, but it's just that simple word, whatever. 
they they actually turned it slowly into whatever. So yeah, whatever. And then they reduced it down to whatever. That's all you needed. It's been reduced down now. The teenagers here this morning, they told me, no, no, it's much shorter now. It's, it's you do you. Uh, that is really a terrible piece of relativism. You, you do you. But it's very simple on a, on a message. You know, you only need four letters. You know, your thumbs only have to work four times. You do you. Or then one of them told me, no, we don't do that anymore. I just say, huh. Uh, you see, what they're saying is, it doesn't matter. I don't care. You know, do what you like. <laughs> you know, whatever. That Chicago decision was really a whatever decision. It really didn't matter what I'd taken down from the shelf. Taking anything would have been better than what I did. But of course, some decisions do matter. Some decisions matter because they have enormous consequences for you and for other people. Some decisions, they can change the very course of your life so that you go somewhere completely different. Uh, some decisions can make us and other decisions can, can break us in this lifetime. And you can look back over some opportunities and some choices and you realise that that choice opened up opportunities for me and other choices just closed down the possibilities. By choosing to do this, I didn't do that and that and that and that and I couldn't do those because I'd chosen this. I can shrug my shoulders and say whatever to a choice like, you know, do you want tea or coffee or do you want plain salt or chicken salt or, I mean, it doesn't really matter these kinds of things, like which kind of orange juice do you want? But the proposal to marry, now that's a choice that matters. That's a choice that has huge consequences. You know, my dear, will you marry me? Whatever. <laughs> just doesn't really work, does it? That's just, that's not the right response. Uh, and so there are some like that that are just so big. Of course, the really ones that have enormous consequences that, that you have, uh, well, to migrate to another country. You know, you need planning, you need thinking, you need really to find out about the other country and, and your own and whether you want to make that choice. And it, it even takes courage to make that choice, doesn't it? To step out and take a risk at such level. But the decisions that have the greatest consequence, of course, are the ones that involve life or death. They're, they're the biggest ones of all. And... The most important choice is to do with life and death and heaven and hell. You can't make bigger, more important choices than those ones. Tonight I'm going to propose that you just make such a choice. I'm going to propose to you not to get married. I'm already married, she's here. You know, that was 50 years ago. I've dealt with that one. I'm not proposing marriage to you. But, no, no, I'm going to propose to you something quite different, really. It's something bigger than marriage. There's not many things in this world. There's not many choices in this world bigger than that one. I'm proposing to you that you give your life completely over to Jesus. And that includes giving over your marriage to Jesus, everything to Jesus. Jesus. 
to, to do it, I'm, I'm going to show you about it in the prayer that's printed on the back. If you just look at the prayer, we'll just take it through. I, I want to take you through it now so that when we come to it, it's not a shock surprise. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a used car salesman. I'm not trying to trick you to buying in it. Sorry, is anybody a car salesman here? Uh, well, good. I'm not trying to uh, trick you into something. Um, I want you to see what it is up front. You see, the prayer, I'll read it now. I, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose, to give me, uh, rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may rule, live with Jesus as my ruler. Notice there's three paragraphs in it. The first paragraph just starts with the word I, 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 I. Everyone down there, it's just I, isn't it? It's all about me. And what it's about me is I need forgiveness. I've done the wrong thing. I've ignored God. I've rebelled against God. I'm not worthy to be accepted by God. That's, I need help. I need forgiveness. I've done the wrong thing. Now, if you don't know that about yourself, there's no point praying this, is there? I mean, the, this prayer has to be what you agree to. But if you don't know that about you, well, it's quite clearly you're married and don't have teenage children because they would have pointed out to you, you don't have brothers and sisters. They would have pointed out you've lived a very lonely, solitary life if you don't know about yourself that you need forgiveness because you've done the wrong thing. Because that's just true of, of us all. Second paragraph is about God. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead to give me new life. You'll notice I need forgiveness and God has sent Jesus to bring me forgiveness. But not only forgiveness, also new life. And the third paragraph, well that's the prayer of the prayer. That's where we actually get down to ask God for something. Please forgive me. Well I need forgiveness. Jesus died for my forgiveness. Please forgive me. But don't forgive me so that I can go back to paragraph one. Forgive me sir, and change me that I might live, and this is why I say giving your life to Jesus, with Jesus as my ruler, king, lord, master, dictator, dic what director, whatever word you want to put in there, ruler. That's what I'm going to pray at the end and I'm going to ask you to be praying it with me. And as you can see, I'm proposing to you something enormous. To help you with this choice, we've been running here, the church has been running here a six weeks or five weeks, this is the sixth week program of a series of sermons. And tonight's the last in the series. So let me quickly remind you what we've covered over the last five weeks so that you can so as you can see where this has all been building, because it's all been building for tonight, and if, if you haven't been able to be here and this is your first night here, this will be a quick crash course on what the last five weeks has been about, and if you have been here, this is a reminder. Firstly, there's creation. That was the first night when we taught that God is the ruler of the world. He made the world, and he made us to rule the world, his good world, giving thanks to him and honour him. Everything there is has been made by the one and only God, including us. 
but we've been made not like any other part of the world to rule over the world but not to rule over the world independently to rule over the world in such a way that we give thanks and honor to him because he is our maker you see it in the book in revelation 4 11 where we read you know in the scriptures you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power we wouldn't give anybody glory and honor and power we don't like giving politicians glory and honor and power certainly not glory certainly not honor but the constitution says we have to give them power but we we set it up in such a way that we can kick them out in three years time if they don't like them because we don't trust anybody with this but we want to give it to god why for because you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being because god is the creator of all he deserves all glory all honor and power and he's created us in this world to give thanks and honor to him the second week we learned about our rebellion that was the week i was here with you we all reject God as our ruler by running our own lives our own way. But by rebelling against God's way, we damage ourselves, each other, and the world. We don't feel like rebels. We don't feel rebellious necessarily. We don't necessarily go, oh, well, I haven't rejected God. But notice how we reject God. It's by running our own lives our own way. It's one of those choices that you make, that by making this choice, you're not making that choice. It's like at a roundabout, you know, you can only leave on one part of it, can't you? And by leaving on one road, you're not leaving on the other three roads that lead elsewhere. So we made our choice by running our own lives our own way. That's how we reject God, because God made us to run our lives His way. But we've chosen to run it our way. Uh, the prophet said it this way, prophet Isaiah, he says, we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own way. The third week we looked at the consequence of that when we looked at the subject of God's judgment. God won't let us rebel against him forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. There's that incredible verse there in Hebrews 9.27, people are destined to die once. We don't believe in reincarnation. You're not going to come back and have a look at this. You only get one lifetime here in this world and then you die and we all die. Everybody dies. We die once. But after that, death is not the end. After that, we meet our maker. After that, we face judgment. But God's love does not leave us just facing judgment. And so we've, we heard in our fourth week about Jesus' death. And what Jesus' death teaches us is something quite, something quite different. You see, because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he wasn't like you and me. Jesus always lived under God's rule. He lived God's way, not his way. And yet he died. Not being punished for his own sin, because he didn't have any, but punished for ours. 
Jesus took our punishment by dying in our place. So back to Isaiah and the prophet says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, here is this great verse that teaches us about that. Now, I think this microphone has now failed, or rather the, the battery has died on the process. So, am I just going to keep speaking without it? Because I'm happy to do that, and I think you can hear me at the back. But no, David is coming to solve all the problems of the battery. <laughs> and he'll get there, and instead of putting in the new battery, he'll flick a switch and it'll work for us, won't it? Almost. Almost. It will be really remarkable. This is dead, and he is now going to bring it to life. Which is the point I'm up to in the sermon, actually, that Jesus did, and now he's coming to life again. There you go. Can you do it for anything more remarkable than microphones, David? No. Because God does it for something much more remarkable with the resurrection. You see, God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler and judge of the world. Jesus conquered death. Jesus couldn't be held by death because though Jesus was paying for all our sins, he paid fully for our sins. So death couldn't hold him. And so now he can bring forgiveness to any and all and he brings new life because he doesn't remain dead. And he will return one day in glory for which we wait. Uh, a verse that shows it to us is in 1 Peter chapter 1 which David's going to put up for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, there's the quick summary. I'm sorry, it is a quick summary. A lot of information. That's why we've taken five weeks to do it, to give you time to think through these ideas. For some of us, they're very familiar ideas. We've heard them all our lives. For some people, they're very new ideas. There's a lot there, though. And if you can't, you know, you're not sure about it all. You don't understand it. It's too quick. We've got this little slip that's been given out today, too, which we'd like you to be uh, filling in later on. Joe will tell you about the filling in of this slip. But you'll notice on this slip, there's alternatives that you might be interested in following up, such as, I have questions I'd like to discuss. I'm interested in Christianity Explored, which is a little program starting up this Tuesday night at uh, 7.30 uh, at Joe's place, where you get coffee and dessert and discussion as well on any questions you want to about Christianity. And that will be starting up this Tuesday night because we want people to understand the choice they're making. That's why we had five weeks leading up to the choice. That's why I'm going to tell you about the choice now. And the choice you can see, it's actually at the top of the outline, top of the outline, back there, the verse I'm using for tonight. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Comes from John 3, 36. Okay, we're about to make a choice. What's our present position? Uh, I don't know. I don't know where you're at. 
uh, Joe or Adam, they may know because you've talked to them, David, you may, God knows where you are. I don't know you, so I don't know where you are, which gives me a freedom to speak very straightforwardly to you because it's not personal, I don't know. You know, God knows. Because in another sense, I do know, because we're all in the same position. That is, we've all been born and raised in the rebellion against God. For some people, this is very active. And they may be here tonight, but I presume not. But there are, there are people who actively rebel against God. They shake their fist at him. They, they abuse him. They denounce him. They ridicule him. They make fun of the Bible. They reject Jesus. They, they go out of their way to be rude to Christians wherever possible. There are people who are actively rebelling against God. But most Australians I know are not like that. Most Australians are, are passive rebellions. <laughs> It's, it's, well, as the prophet said, we all like, like sheep. We just follow the flock. We just mindlessly going about just doing our own thing. We rebel by just doing our own thing. Raised in Australia when I was, when Australia rode on the back of the sheep, I've got nothing against sheep. And I can assure you, I love lamb in any version in which anyone wishes to cook it for me. I love lamb and, and I'm quite, I don't mind a nice woolen jumper too. So, but sheep are stupid. You know, I mean, they really are dumb creatures. They just go from one tusk of grass to the next tuft of the grass. They, they, they just follow each other without ever knowing where they're going. They really are thick. There's not too much about sheep. And sadly, that's how most people live too. It's a terribly rude thing to say about humans, but it's true. We just go from day to day. You get up, you go to work, you do the things you're supposed to do, you finish off, you come home, you eat tea, you watch Netflix until you go to sleep and get up the next day. <laughs> That's life. We're not completely like that because every now and then we stop and think. And sometimes when we've thought about it a lot, we think this is really meaningless and I've got to go to work, so I get going again. Not all people like it. I mean, people come to church and think great thoughts, deep thoughts, big thoughts. But, but the key thing about this is the rebellious nature of just living your own way. See, come back to that one on rebellion. We all reject God as our ruler by running our own lives our own way. That, that's all we're doing. We're just choosing to be ourselves. I'm just choosing to be myself. I do my thing, you do your thing. I don't care about you. You're just another sheep in the other part of the paddock. You don't care about me, I'm just doing my part and just do our own thing. But if we're doing our own thing, we're not doing God's thing. That's the difference. And we were created to do God's thing. And we're not. We're choosing to do our own thing. <laughs> it's not that we're murderers. Well, you may be, I don't know, but it's not that. It's not that we're you know, thieves and adulterers necessarily. That's, it's just that we are the ruler of our own lives, the king of our own world. We are 
therefore self-governed. And if you're self-governed, if the ultimate authority in your life is yourself, then excuse me pointing it out to you, but you are selfish. You can't live for yourself without being selfish. And when you're selfish, you damage yourself and others and the world. That, that, that's what it's saying, you see. That's what you do. Because you say, no, no, Philip, I'm really nice to other people. I'm kind to people. But why? Why are you nice to other people? Why are you kind to other people? Because I like to be like that. Do you hear me? I'm still selfish, aren't I? I'm still doing it because of me. Makes me feel good to give money to a pro project. It makes me good to flash my little white or red or green or yellow, whatever the one is, the thing to show that I believe in the moral cause of the day. Makes me feel good. I'm doing it for me. We're always self. And when you are living for yourself, then you're not the nicest person to live with, actually. I mean, I'd like it to live with a whole group of people who all were living not for themselves. Then I could be really selfish, couldn't I? <laughs> They'd be looking after me all the time, wouldn't they? That'd be really good. The last thing I have to do is to give up being my own selfish soul. But I've got nothing bigger in this world than myself, so... What we don't like to hear is that God is angered by this rebellion against us, against him. The word the Bible uses is the word wrath, but wrath's just an old English word that means angry. God is angry, but his anger is a righteous anger against the way we reject him and the way we damage each other, and damage his world. To understand it, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go to an extreme illustration. Uh, I know it's extreme, that's the very point, right? To understand that anger with wrongdoing is the right response. You see, there was a man called Pol Pot. For some of us, this is current affairs. For others, this is history. No one is ancient history. It was the 20th century. And the 20th century was full of monsters who didn't believe in God like Pol Pot and Mao Zedong and Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler and on and on goes the list. Mr. Ceausescu and it just goes on. But just pick up Pol Pot. He's the closest to us here. He was in Cambodia. He didn't reign for very long. I can't remember how many years and I haven't checked it out, but I think he was only in charge for four or five years. It wasn't many years. But during the time he was there, he killed one third of the population. Of Cambodia. Men, women, old people, young people, children, a third of them were killed in just a few years. The killing fields is how it has been called. It was monstrous. And of course the whole country fell into deep poverty under his communistic rule of death. He was one of the worst monsters of the monsters that we've had. And what's very difficult for the people who remained in Cambodia to understand was that he died before he was ever taken to court. He never faced justice. He never faced judgment. His regime was overthrown, but he stayed living in the jungles and then he died there in his own home in the end.
and it seems like there was no justice. And when you live in that kind of environment, you think there's no justice in this world because Pol Pot got away with it. Where, where is the justice? But don't worry about it. He still had to face God. For it's appointed unto every man to die once and after that, the judgment. Pol Pot had to answer to the real judge, the one who judges justly and properly. And you should be rightly angered that such a man could ever do such wicked things to a society. Because it is appalling. It was appalling. It is appalling to think of what he has done and what the others have done. And it's right to be angry when you hear this extreme sinfulness. And you want God to be just and to punish wickedness. But watch out, friends, because you can't have a thoroughly just judge who's not going to call you into account for what you have done. You say, well, I haven't killed a third of the population. I don't even kill cockroaches. I'm scared of them. And so, no, he's going to call you to account for everything you have done. Every idle word that is, that is uttered. You see, that was what we heard under our third point, that God won't let us rebel against him forever. People are destined to die once and after that judgment. But God's anger is not like yours and mine. You see, we get angry over silly things. In fact, temperamental. We lose our temper. God doesn't lose his temper like that. Now, the Tasmanian uh, senator... I can't think of her name now. Jackie Lambie, a really interesting politician. One of the more colourful characters of political life today is Jackie Lambie. But she's been banned from Qantas for six months. Did you read about that this week? A few months ago, she, well, she had a really bad time. She, she lost a temper at the Qantas lounge and, and attacked the staff verbally, abusing them. For which she's apologised and uh, continues to apologise and and she's accepted she did the wrong thing and accepted the fact she's not allowed to fly for six months as a penalty. She, she did the crime, she's paying the time, she says. Uh, she's a better politician than many, is Jackie Lambie. What, what, why did she abuse... Well, she had a really bad day. Well, it was worse than a bad day. She said, I'd been locked up in Canberra for a couple of weeks, so that'd be enough to make anybody angry, wouldn't it? Uh, that morning she'd had a car accident. She'd bumped her car into another parked car and then... Later in the day, she was given a speeding ticket and then she had a bad back and she was taking medicine because she was in considerable pain at the time and she wanted to get home to Tasmania as quickly as she could and she arrived at the Qantas lounge and they wouldn't let her in for some reason and so she blew a stack and she yelled abuse at these poor people behind the counter and she said it was the wrong thing to do and I, I, could, I can understand why I lost my temper but that doesn't excuse losing my temper. God's not temperamental like that. It's not that God's had to be locked up in Canberra for a few days. It's not that he's had a car accident. God's anger is justice. God's anger is with Pol Pot. God's anger is with my lies and my covetousness and my greed and my ambition. God's anger is righteous. And so God's wrath rests upon us all. However, 
in his love, he's provided an alternative. He's provided his own son, Jesus, who paid the penalty by dying in our place and turning aside God's anger upon us and rising victorious to bring us new life. Which is what the Bible's text is I'm talking about tonight. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. This is the choice. The choice to make. Point four on the outline now. The choice is to believe in the Son. Which you'll see I've said equals trust. For it's not simply believe about the Son, to believe the facts about Jesus was born under the reign of King Herod the Great, around about 4 BC, and he died under Pontius Pilate. It's not just to believe the facts about Jesus. I mean, the Bible says the demons believe and shudder because they don't believe in the Son. And that's what's required, to believe in. Whoever believes in the Son that's more than just believing about. That's putting your trust in him. See, I, I believe in my doctors. A week or two ago, I had a minor operation, went to hospital, and uh, there I was, laying out in that dreadful gown that doesn't cover anything that you want covered and covers other bits of you that you don't care whether they're not covered. And this man came up to me who was the anaesthetist and chatted to me very friendly, nice, really and chatting on to me as he stuck things in my arm and then put some, some liquid into me. And while he's talking to me and I'm talking to him, suddenly he disappears and everything just goes... Next thing I know, I'm being offered a cup of tea and a biscuit in a different room by somebody else. You see, I trust the anaesthetist. I trust the surgeon. They held my life in their hands, didn't they? If they hated me and wanted to kill me, they had every opportunity to. If they were incompetent, they could have killed me by accident. But because they're on my side trying to help my failing body, and because they're competent and know what they're doing, I'm willing to put my life in their hands. That's, I believe in them. I trust them. And here I stand today to prove it was a very sensible thing to do. Well, that's what we're talking about here. To put your life in Jesus' hands. To say, yes, his death for my sin means I no longer fear God in the judgment because he has paid for me. And so choosing to believe in him will mean I'll do it his way, not my way. Because the alternative is not obeying the Son. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever doesn't obey the Son shall not see life. For the Son always called upon us to repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, was the text of Jesus' sermons. Uh, repent means more than feel sorry. To repent is to turn around. It's to chuck a yui. It's to go the opposite direction. You know, I'm heading down this way, and then I repent. So I head over this way. That's the repentance. I may feel sorry before, 
I may feel sorry during, I may feel sorry after, I mightn't even feel sorry at all. It's got nothing to do necessarily with sorry. I mean, you're driving down the freeway and you repent and head the other way into the oncoming traffic, then you feel sorry afterwards. That's a a stupid repentance. Don't do that one. But this is not a stupid repentance. This is actually turning our back on living for ourselves to start living for Jesus. That's what I'm proposing that you do. You turn your whole life around for him. And whoever believes in the Son like that has eternal life. That's what it says there. Not will have in the future when you die, but has it right now and in the future because it's eternal. See, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? Are you sure you'd go to heaven? (laughs) One of the occupational hazards of being a clergyman is that you've got to go to lots of funerals. I've been to more than my fair share of funerals. And, you know, people really say stupid things at funerals. Really daft, silly things. You know, oh, I can see Fred up there now, smiling and laughing and cheering us on with a beer in one hand, a fag in the other which actually is why he's up there. They're really dumb. They don't know how to deal with death. They're too afraid of it. The only thing you can do is make fun of it because you're scared witless of it. And even worse, you don't mention judgment after death. Would Fred fare all right facing God now? Because that's actually what he's doing. Are you sure you're in heaven? I am. I'm 100% sure. I know of a certainty I'm going to heaven. And when you hear me say that, you can feel, oh gee, Philip, that's a bit arrogant, (laughs) a bit full of yourself. I mean, if that's what... The people in heaven are going to be like, I don't want to be hanging around with you. I'll check the alternative out. I mean, I'm certain I'm going to heaven. I'm 100% sure. Why? How? Because of Jesus. Not because of me. If it was because of me, I wouldn't be sure I'm going to heaven. In fact, if it was all up to me, I could be sure I'm going to hell. Because I've done enough. I've rebelled against God like everybody else has. I've ignored him. I've turned my back on him. I haven't done what he wants me to do. And I've done the things he doesn't want me to do. No, no. If it was up to me, I couldn't be sure I'd be going to heaven. But it's not up to me. It's up to Jesus. Jesus has died for me. Jesus has risen again for me. If I believe in him, I have eternal life now. Eternal life can't be taken from you. It is yours already now. In fact, if you believe in Jesus, you have to be sure that you're going to heaven. Otherwise, you don't believe in him. You don't believe that he's really done it for you. You believe that he's somehow inadequate. As long as I believe in myself, my morality, my efforts, I'm never sure I've done enough. But when I trust Jesus and his death and resurrection... Why? I've already been born again to a living hope. 
But this morning's, this, this evening's text that we have here shows us what happens. See, what happens if the choice is not made? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever doesn't obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him because he's never moved out from that position. It's quite clear here what the Bible is saying, isn't it? If you don't choose Jesus, you'll not see life. But God's wrath will continue. Just as it is, unabated, it will remain upon you. You see, the decision not to choose Jesus, well, it's like my decision not to choose orange juice. It's a decision. I think I'm not making a decision, I'm just sitting here doing nothing. No, sitting here doing nothing is choosing not to do something. It's a choice, but it's a much, much more serious choice than orange juice, of course. Because this whole thing is a much more serious thing. What you've chosen, what you've chosen in doing nothing is to choose against Jesus. And when you choose against Jesus, you're choosing against God's love. Because Jesus is God's love for us in rescuing us. And when you're choosing against God's love, you are choosing God's wrath and judgment. Well, that's madness. If you, if you think it's stupid not being able to make a mind about an orange juice, I tell you, choosing God's justice and God's wrath is true madness. But you say, but Philip, I'm not ready tonight. I'm not ready to make that kind of choice to choose Jesus. I need more time to think about it. And I respect you for saying that. Because this is not a light choice. This is a real choice and it's a serious choice and an important choice. And you do need to think about it. You do need to be certain. You need to be sure. You want a sincere response from people, not an insincere response. And that comes from knowing that, yes, this is what I want. And so if you've got questions, you've got queries, you're not sure, then you've got a wonderful staff here. Ask Joe, ask David, ask, ask Adam what questions you have. Uh, we've got these, they've got these set up, these different courses, this uh, Christianity Explored course, or if you've just got particular questions, you just say, I'd like to discuss the matter further. And they'll make a time for you privately just to talk over your particular issues. But if you're not willing to ask questions, if you're not willing to find out the answers, if you're not willing to discuss why you couldn't choose Jesus now, frankly, if you'll excuse me saying so, you're just fooling yourself and being stupid. Procrastination like that, that's you know, not genuinely seeking information, procrastination like that is just an excuse for choosing against Jesus. I've got no reasons against Jesus, but I just don't want to decide now, so I won't decide now. Well, you are deciding now. You're deciding against Jesus. And that's just a very lazy excuse. Don't fool yourselves. Don't harden your heart. For whatever else you do, you mustn't do that. See, the psalm that Jared read for us first in Psalm 95 said, Today, when you hear his voice. Tonight, when you hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. And then we read from John 18 and 19 
And we saw a great example of a man hardening his heart, Pontius Pilate. He knew Jesus was innocent. I don't know if you remember the reading now, but over and over again, I find nothing at fault in this man. I don't know what you're accusing him of. He is innocent. Look, go and crucify him. I've got nothing against him. Go and crucify him. I've got nothing against him. Now, there's a judge you'd never want to appear in front of. <laughs> That's appalling, isn't it? He knew Jesus was innocent. But he wriggled and squirmed his way around in the best tradition of great politicians. Jesus told him, I've come to bear witness, I've come to testify to the truth. And everyone of the truth listens to what I'm saying. And what does Pontius Pilate say? He doesn't ask a question, he puts it in a question form, but he doesn't actually ask the question. He makes that stupid 21st century response. Truth? What's truth? It's like our young people saying, you do you. You know, whatever you want. Your truth, your truth, his truth, her truth. No, there's only one truth. Truth is truth. And this man was face to face with truth himself. But he was unwilling to see it. Because he had a hardened heart. And the more you harden your heart against the truth, the more you become hardened against it. Don't think for a moment that you can keep on choosing against Jesus by postponing. You know, one day, one day when I've done the things I want to do, when I've been where I want to be and done the things I want to do, then, you know, later on in life, then I'll choose Jesus. You know, on my deathbed, when I'm so morphined out I can't think at all, then somehow I'll be able to choose Jesus. No, no, my friends. A lifetime of saying no becomes a habit that you're unable to break. Tonight, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Tonight, I'm bringing you his voice. God said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So let me show you how to accept the proposal. No little ring to pop on a finger, no just saying yes, now you need to talk to God about it. And that's what the prayer is on the back. So turn over and have a look at it again. As I invite you to pray. A prayer of repentance. Asking God to forgive me and change me. Change the whole direction of my life from living for myself like one of the sheep to living for Jesus. Not something I can do myself, but God can do it to me. So I ask him to. So as I pray this prayer, I invite you to pray it along with me. We'll pray it out loud together. If you don't want to pray it, by all means, just stay silent. If it's not true, you don't believe it, well then by all means, stay silent. If you're not ready to because you're going to come to Christianity Explored and find out more, well, stay silent. But if, like me, you want this, then... Pray with me, will you? Out loud. Let's pray.
Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. And friends, if that is your prayer, you will be forgiven. How do I know that? Because Jesus died to forgive you. Of course you'll be forgiven. And you'll be given new life. How do I know that? Because Jesus isn't dead, he's alive, he's risen.